Well, hello, Oddballs. It's your host, Bobby. And your co-host, Lexi. And this is Oddities on Elm Street. Welcome back to episode 20. Vente! You'll be hearing this week 13. Woo! Oh my gosh, it's already Time week flies. 13. What the heck? I know, I know. It's almost April already. We're almost 27. Ew. Why did you have to remind me? <laughs> I can't not think about it. I think we should probably just jump right into this one because it's kind of long and there's a mm-hmm. lot. It's a lot of detail. Yeah. And it's going to be a little mm-hmm. tough to talk about, I think. And I also, I wanted to put out a trigger warning for this one because it does involve children. Does the dog die? Yes. yes. Isn't that a website? Yes. Didn't you use that once when we were watching a scary movie? I think movie? it was with Lee. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, topics with children and animals. If that's something you don't want to hear, I get it. Mm-hmm. Maybe skip this episode. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to go into, like, graphic detail because, obviously, I want to... Of course not. Yeah, I want to be sensitive to the nature of this case, but even avoiding the graphic detail, I know some people still don't want to hear about it. So here's your warning for that. If you want to listen, but you don't want to hear about those specific parts, mm-hmm. I can give a warning Yeah, before I talk about them in yeah. more detail. So I think that's, I think that's great. Yeah. All right. Let's jump in then. From all accounts, Anthony Tote seemed like he had it all. He had married his high school sweetheart, and together, the two of them had three children. He had a successful business, he was well-known and liked in his community, and people who knew the Tote family even envied them, because from the outside, their lives looked picture-perfect. But it seemed that overnight, things fell apart. In reality, all of this went so much deeper than anyone could have ever anticipated. 44-year-old Tony Tote was a successful physical therapist who ran his business out of Colchester, Connecticut. 42-year-old Megan Tote was previously a yoga instructor, but became a stay-at-home mother after their children were born. Together, Tony and Megan had three children, 13-year-old Alexander, 11-year-old Tyler, and 4-year-old Zoe. The family was super involved in their community. Their children were super active. They did things like play piano and soccer. And Tony actually volunteered as the youth soccer coach. Just a quick little background on Tony. Very quickly. I don't want to meddle. Father. Yes, I don't I don't want to meddle on it, but I think it's worth mentioning. For sure. So yeah, Tony's father, Robert was arrested in July of 1980 when Tony was just four years years old for hiring one of his former students to kill his wife, Loretta, so that he could marry his mistress. It's so fucked up. And he, like, chose his student, quote-unquote, wisely. Like, wasn't he in a special ed class? I don't know. I swear, I, I heard I that in this window. I didn't look into it very much, so you could be right on that. But I just know that he was like 
very easily manipulated and that's so I think that he was I think that he was like hooked on some drug too and oh my god what yeah, yeah. That, oh my God. Yeah. This, that's what I mean about this case is it's like when you, you yeah, when you think that you've just found some piece of information where you're like, oh, that's interesting. The more you look into into it, it's, it just gets more and more crazy. So yeah, this, this hitman, quote unquote, was specifically ordered to only harm Loretta, making sure that Tony would be spared. Well, and it and the dad was like, "It's just our babysitter." Like okay, his, I didn't know any of this. What? Yes, yes. He like he told Tony. No, not Tony. The the hitman was like, "I need you to kill the babysitter." <gasps> Are you not kidding? my wife? No, I'm not. I swear. I swear. I said it and sent and swindled. Oh <clears throat> my god! Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. Fuckery, that's for sure. What is wrong with this man? What was wrong with his bloodline? I don't know. Bro, it's... Okay, so Robert asks his special ed student to kill his wife under the guise that it's actually his son's babysitter? I'm fairly sure. Am I making you question your your memory? Yes, you are. I'm sorry, but I didn't look into this. So I don't know. Like, I just thought it was just one of those things of like, oh, that's crazy. It's like not like really that crazy. Like fucked. So it's true. Yeah. So Robert got John, who was learning disabilities and um, addicted to drugs and alcohol. Yeah. He persuaded him with $800 to kill his babysitter gave him a gun to do it and this this kid is like first of all literally a kid yeah it just really puts into perspective the whole cycle of trauma and abuse Mm -hmm. and how it just it's just so real and i think that this case really makes you realize how true that is yeah well it's so i've never heard of a case like this like these cycles repeating themselves in the forms of quite literally generations and generations of um traumatized people that either turn out to be like their parents or are afraid of becoming their parents Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's just so interesting. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes it's hard for people to understand like the cycle of trauma and yeah, like what people mean by like breaking the cycle. Mm -hmm. Right. And like this episode is about that. Yeah. Like you feel bad. Like Morbid says, you feel bad for the child, but the adult, it doesn't matter doesn't matter how fucked your childhood was. It sucks. But once you're an adult, you have to make that conscious decision to self-reflect and change. Do what you need to do so that you can break the cycle so that it doesn't continue so that your kids are not fucked. Yeah. 
I literally have a note that says, even though like this probably had some type of lasting psychological effect on Tony, it's still not an excuse for any of the future actions that he would later take. Right. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, so Loretta did survive. Crazy. Um, She took a bullet to the face. That happened in front of Tony. Mm-hmm. I think it's also kind of going back to what we were talking about. Very interesting that it seems like Loretta was completely wrapped around Robert's finger. And mm-hmm. like unknowingly very manipulated. Yeah. And it's Tony the same, girl it's the same dynamic. To, exactly. It is. That carries over wonk. into Tony's marriage. Yes. And you see it with Loretta. And even, like, with her parents, her father committing suicide and her mother going on to have a drinking problem and problems coping and the codependency issues and just, it's crazy. The, like, you're looking in a mirror type of thing. Yeah. The reflection of. Yeah. All while presenting just, to everyone else that you're living in this yeah. literal utopia of right. a perfect life. Because I heard in that podcast that Megan's mother Mm -hmm. went to a friend one night before her father had passed away. They had gotten in a fight. Megan's parents had gotten in a fight. And she showed up at a friend's doorstep and said, he's going to kill me. And that's what I mean. Is it's like, it's everything is mirrored. And it's, it's like all interconnected in a really weird strange it way it is very strange and that's why like when i brought it up it's like i don't understand why more people don't know about it yeah. because like you said it's all connected and it's it's a, it's it's like a weird conspiracy theory that you like dig more into and you're like right what but the? it's actually true yes, yes and it's terrifying yes it is And it's so crazy to, especially because like we, I think at least for our generation, I feel like a a recurring theme among us is that we either become our parents or we look at them as the example of what not to be. What not to do, yeah. And I feel like Tony and Megan are the perfect embodiment. If they could put their childhood trauma into a person it's they became it right they're just living out the same life that they mm-hmm. that their parents lived and it's I, so right. strange and i feel like they don't even realize they it. don't realize it and i think that you know that is i know that people are like millennials are so like sensitive and blah 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 and but i think like stuff like this is just a testament to why, you know, sometimes it's good to self-reflect and, you know, like, dig into your traumas and Mm -hmm. figure all that shit out so that you can have the understanding that you need to break that cycle. Yeah. Like, you, you see, you obviously know, like, you're growing up and you're like, yeah, um, I don't want my child to live like this no fucking way right so you actively 
But I think most people don't. They've just been so conditioned to believe that that's normal, that they don't even, it's not even intentional that they grow up <clears throat> to be exactly what they right. hate about their parents. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, I think and like you said, it takes self-reflection. Like you have to be able to look into yourself and say, you know, take responsibility at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not your fault. Right. But you're the only one responsible for making that change and right. breaking the cycle. Right. It sucks, but that's just the case. And I think that our generation is probably the the, the first, first to actually like, actively do that. Yeah. I mean, and be open right. to talk about right. it. That's the big thing because mm-hmm. otherwise shit like this goes down. It keeps happening over and over again. Yeah. According to Tony, his wife, Megan, contracted Lyme disease after their trip to Disney World in 2017 when she was bit by, he says, a bug. I'm assuming it would be a tick because that's what carries Lyme disease. And um, also, according to him, it was after that that she began suffering from bouts of depression. She started to become a little bit more isolated and unlike herself. And after this, the family permanently moved to Celebration, Florida from their home in Connecticut. But Tony continued running his physical therapy business out of Connecticut, visiting the family in Florida almost every weekend. The neighborhood they had moved to in Florida is a planned community. It's associated with Disney. Very interesting. I looked at pictures of it. It's a gorgeous place. Like, it's... It looks like it's right off from a movie set. Well, because Walt himself had wanted, had envisioned this, yeah. right? But then he passed away before it could actually become reality. But then eventually they were like, they wanted to implement it. Yeah. Like years later. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, right? I think. Yeah. So they, they had like, every house had a big front porch so that they could interact with their neighbors. And right. it was just... Right, they said specifically front porches yeah. versus back so that you could have a community. Yeah. And I kept on, you know, I feel like the common theme of people talking about it is like, you know, it's just what you want from the good old days when, mm-hmm. you know, the traditional. Yeah. And I hear that the, what is it, HOA? Yeah, Homeowners Association. was like insane. Everyone had to have like a, like a, some sort of hidden Mickey Mouse symbol. What? Yes. Yes. They had like very, very strict HOA rules. And some people were like, you know, that's, some people don't like it, but that's what keeps us orderly. And that's why your neighbor has nice trim green grass. It reminds me of like The Giver. Did you ever read that book? Mm-mm. It's basically they live in like this type of world where everything is perfect Mm -hmm. and everybody is like the same Mm -hmm. and they're all given the same opportunities Mm -hmm. and everything is like in black and white and there's no emotions and no feelings and it's like cookie cutter it's like the where where squidward tried to move to i don't (laughs) I haven't seen Spongebob since I was probably six years old. Well, fuck you, then. <laughs> <laughs> you squidward-hating ass. 
he, yeah, he like moves to like, cause you know, Squidward's house is like that big face rock yeah. thing. Yeah. He moves to a community where it's all face rocks. <laughs> And all oh, oh I do remember that. Yes, I do yes, remember that. Exactly. Oh and God. it's all it's like you said, cookie cutter. Yeah. And like they don't say it, but you know that there's some crazy HOA rules. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's to me it's like uncomfortable. Yeah. And they you know, they said that there's like literally speakers of birds chirping. And that they What? Yes, and that they had like fake snow and fake leaves like this is literally that's it's it's weird that is the setting of a horror movie exactly that is exactly. the strangest thing i've ever heard right they have like hidden speakers with birds tweeting mhm yes what mhm it's very strange that is so unsettling Exactly unsettling. That's exactly the word that I was looking for. And to ha- just have like fake snow. It was like on the hour or something. And like fake leaves. Like it's, I, I don't even have words right now. That it's is, so Disney. And it's very, like you said, unsettling, uncomfortable. It's like you're trying so hard to have this perfect the life. perfect life. You're trying yeah. to like. You, you this move is away. so weird because it's so symbolic of I this know. whole thing. I know. <sighs> my brain can't handle more. This is just, oh my God. Okay, we. I feel like we've worked you up a bit. Let's give you some meat. <laughs> oh what my God. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm worked up and I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh,. It, while they were living in Connecticut, they were known in the community. They had mm. very active lives. But after their move to Florida, they became a little bit more recluse. Mm-hmm. In April of 2019, an investigation into Tony was launched. Wait, sorry. I want to maybe just comment on what you just said. They allegedly moved to Florida because of her Lyme's disease, because it was easier with the warmer weather. Right, because of the chronic pain. Right. Yeah. Right. He said that he couldn't sell his practice for what it was worth, so the mm. the travel was necessary. That doesn't make sense. Like it that does not make like comparing the cost of ha- you having to travel every single week down to Florida to you selling your practice and for opening less than some worth for less than it's worth and opening something else in Florida. Like that it just, just, it's it, not right. logical. Right. I don't believe a word that he says, honestly. I feel like he's literally like living in a delusion and yes. he's convinced himself. He's lied to himself enough that he's like, he believes in it. Oh, absolutely. I 100% <laughs> agree with that. Oi. So, in April of 2019, an investigation into Tony was launched, and it was discovered that he was committing insurance fraud through his business in Connecticut. Basically, he was charging patients for care that they never received, and in turn, he was using that extra money to pay for their home in celebration, as well as, like, all of the trips they were taking to Disney World. Just, they were living beyond their means, and he was using that to try to catch up because he had taken out so many of these like high interest loans that he kept on taking more out a hundred thousand dollars worth yeah 
Yeah. So he was being sued by some firms in New York City mm-hmm. because he didn't pay back the loans that mm-hmm. he had taken out. And it was it was almost $100,000 worth of loans. It um, just keeps on building and was yeah. just trying to do something to try to chip away at it. Right. And so there, I had a little bit of confusion about this. So I think it's important to clear it up. But they owned a home in Celebration. But then they had this condo. And they had a condo that they were renting out. So yeah, anyways, at first with all of this, Tony maintained his innocence. But after a while of being questioned, he admitted to the fraud. And investigators don't believe that Megan had any idea about any of this because she wasn't at all involved with his business. So because of this whole insurance fraud situation, investigators were already looking into Tony. Every year that they had been living in Florida up until this point, the family has always returned home to Connecticut for the holidays to visit Megan's family. But in 2019, it was different. Megan's family didn't get their usual Thanksgiving visit from them. The Tote family instead stayed in Florida for Thanksgiving and then again for Christmas. Megan's aunt and uncle, who she was particularly close with, reached out around Christmas to say happy holidays and to make sure the kids got their gifts. Megan responded saying they were planning on going out of town for a trip to St. Augustine and that they might not be on their phones much. So her family didn't think much of it at the time. It wasn't until shortly before they were due to leave for St. Augustine that they began to worry. Megan had texted her aunt and uncle saying that her and the kids were sick with the flu and were too sick to talk over the phone and that they planned to put off their trip to St. Augustine until they all recovered. Then they received a text from Tony saying that Megan had lost her phone and that they were all going off the grid for a little while and would be hard to reach. After that, all communication came only from Tony. Christmas came and went, and the messages stopped altogether. It wasn't just Megan's family that was concerned, and actually, it was Tony's sister who contacted police first for the welfare check. Tony's sister, Chrissy, called the Osceola Police Department on December 29th, explaining that Tony and his family had been sick for the past week and a half and that no one had heard from them in a while. When police showed up, they didn't find anything out of the ordinary. It didn't appear as if anyone was home. The blinds were drawn, the door was shut, and it was dark inside. And because the family is known to travel, it didn't really register with anyone in the community that something could be wrong. Also. Like was stated, snowbirds, right? Exactly. So it's, it's Christmas time. It's very common for people who live in this community that that's not their only home. Yeah. So it's very common for people to just not be there, especially around the holidays. Right. Yeah, especially exactly because a lot of these people have family in the north that they go and visit. And that's just the way it is down there. <laughs> So, everyone just assumed they had gone somewhere, but on January 10th, Chrissy called again, seeming more desperate this time. This time, Chrissy says she's just now kind of put the pieces together, and in doing so, has become even more concerned. 
She says that the last time she spoke to her sister-in-law, Megan, Megan made a comment that the world was ending on the 28th and that nobody had talked to them since. The landlord also called the police. They hadn't paid their rent, and she had seen on social media that the family has been missing. She left a note on the door alerting the family of an upcoming eviction. But when she went back to check in, the note had never been touched. Another welfare check was called in on January 13, 2020, this time from Connecticut State Police. This police officer was calling to follow up on a missing persons case that had been filed by the family of the totes. By this time, police in Osceola County had already located the tote family. News began filtering back to the family in Connecticut. So, like I said before, the feds were already looking into Tony for the suspected healthcare fraud. Mm -hmm. And Tony was aware of this because they had issued a search warrant for his office. So he was in contact with the feds in November. He told them he was going to go settle some things back in Florida and then come back to give them a statement or an interview. Mm -hmm. But he never returned to Connecticut. So at this point, we have investigators in Connecticut looking into Tony's business and investigators in Florida trying to locate Tony. After a month's worth of investigation into his business, police go to his home in Florida to serve him the warrant for his arrest. They were just there in the hopes of arresting him on the charges related to the fraud. Mm -hmm. And this time, the police and the Department of Health and Human Services show up at the tote home. So, which I want to just maybe throw in there. I thought it was very odd because no one had seen them for weeks. Yeah. Right. And then the health and human services, whoever, mm -hmm. they show up with the arrest warrant. And he's just like sitting on his porch. Yeah. Like, that's weird. It's very weird. He ends up going inside and that's when they from Connecticut call the local police and ask for some backup mm -hmm. to because they have to go in. And I feel like it's really good that they did that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so crazy how it could be so different. It's so unexpected. Right. They're, they're going into this house for health fraud. Right. Health insurance fraud. And they whatever it is. Something yes. completely. Mm. This is the third time. That they've shown up there at the tote home, but they're not expecting to see anything. They're pretty much just there to scope out the house, um, like do surveillance. They can't serve this arrest warrant if Tony's not home. And as far as they know, him and his family are still missing. So they show up at the house not even expecting to locate the family, be able to serve this warrant. But they arrive to the tote home and the house, again, is dark. All the blinds are closed. But this time they see Tony sitting on the porch, on the front porch. Like, how odd. So strange. Like, he's just hanging out. Like, what are you doing? Right. And how have none of your neighbors seen you? And so weird. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it, Tony makes direct eye contact with this officer 
and from there wanders back inside, but is seen like kind of staggering around. They make their way inside the home, calling out to Tony, telling him that he's under arrest. And what they find is not at all what they expected. So police, they're just there to serve him this warrant. They're expecting to just arrest a physical therapist for health fraud. But once they get inside, they see Tony standing at the top of the staircase. They begin asking him where Megan and the kids are. Tony replies that Megan is asleep in bed and even calls out her name. That got When I heard that, yeah. It just made me feel a certain way. Like, I literally think it's part of the lying to himself. I think so, too. Believing his delusions. Yeah, yeah. And then he says he's not sure where the kids are, but that he thinks they might have been at a sleepover last night. So they make their way upstairs and they see feet sticking out from the blankets on the bed. Once they pull back that blanket, they find Megan deceased. And it's it's pretty clear that her her body is decomposed. Now, this is where I want to give a warning because I'm going to talk about the kids real quick. So if you don't want to hear that part, just skip ahead a couple minutes. At the foot of the bed is another mattress laid out on the floor, and on that mattress are two more bundles of blankets. Wrapped in those blankets are the bodies of 13-year-old Alec and 11-year-old Tyler, placed at the feet of their mother. They weren't able to locate Zoe's body at first. They begin questioning Tony, asking him where Zoe's body is, and he responds saying, isn't she in her bed sleeping? But she was also wrapped in a blanket and placed with her mother and brothers, but because she was so small, she was difficult for them to locate. The family dog, a small, fluffy, brown and white dog, was also found dead in her dog bed in the master bedroom. Anthony himself had consumed a large amount of Benadryl in what he claimed was an attempt to take his own life. The eighth time, right? Yeah, supposedly. But I I was listening to that podcast and one of the officers said that like with the way he was shaking and stumbling around while he's being let out in handcuffs, he felt that Tony was being overdramatic and kind of like putting on a show, which I can totally see from him. Does not surprise me one fucking bit. So at this point, Tony is charged with four counts of first-degree homicide and one count of animal cruelty. So now the investigation into these murders begins. It took months worth of investigating to determine not just a cause of death, but even just a date of death. Right, because there was... No one could get in contact with them for so long so it's like the only person who has that information is tony Tony. yeah so because the bodies of megan and the children had already started decomposing that makes it a little difficult to find out what the method of homicide was and they still had no motive from tony at this point Mm -hmm. because of the level of decomposition It was determined that Megan and the children had to have been deceased for at least two weeks. 
which is so hard to imagine. Like this father and husband is just living in a house with the decomposing bodies of his family members for weeks. Like, there's something seriously wrong here. Absolutely. It, you can't even begin to wrap your mind around that. No. No. So, just another warning. I'm going to address the cause of deaths for the family and the dog. So, if you don't want to hear that, then skip ahead. So, when autopsy reports had finally been released, it was noted that the cause of death was some combination of Benadryl and stabbing. Benadryl, unless taken in copious amounts, doesn't necessarily kill you. And it was noted that the houses next to the Totes house, they're just a few feet away, but none of the neighbors ever heard any screams that you would assume would come from a conscious person being stabbed. Mm -hmm. So that, combined with the levels of Benadryl, allows us to kind of speculate that the family had most likely been drugged before being stabbed and were hopefully unconscious when the stabbings took place. Mm-hmm. And the medical examiner also noted that they were all stabbed in their stomachs, except for Zoe, because she was so small, it couldn't really be determined. Because she was and so she was small. so decomposed. Because she was like really wrapped in that blanket. Mm-hmm. And with the, that combination of really being wrapped up, it's in Florida. Yeah. It's not cold. Right. And she's so small. They, they couldn't, they had, a, they had a hard time finding her. Yeah. So how are you going to? Well, there's, if there's no flesh, there's no puncture wounds. That's the only way you can tell. Unless in, I don't remember which boy, but one of the boys had, um, been hit in the rib mm. with mm-hmm. a knife. Mm-hmm. So in that case, it would be easy to determine. But in Zoe's case, they didn't see any of that. And they have no remnants of what you would call a puncture wound. So right. they can't they don't know. determine for sure. And the dog, Breezy. That this may mean this may be mad. Yeah. How he's like she went peacefully because I I suffocated her by closing her mouth and, and putting his hand over her nose. That is not peaceful, you mother. But it was determined that she was stabbed multiple times. That plus just what he's alleging is like... Yeah. Oh, he like, never takes responsibility for right? stabbing her. And... But. and but even suffocating her, that's not that's peaceful. peaceful. That's painful. Exactly. And that's scary. Like, like a dog that doesn't understand uh, what's happening to them. Exactly. It's like, I feel like that just gives you like so much of an insight on like how fucked his mind is. Like, yeah. How caught up in this delusion he's in. Like, has he been just like making up the story and believing it mm-hmm. through the weeks after? Like, oh yeah, yeah this is why it's all. Yeah. I all... 100% believe that this entire time, these weeks that he's been in that house with them, he's been getting his story straight. 
He's been coming up with... And making himself believe it. And and making himself out to be the victim and the hero at the same time. So, yeah. All three of the children and Megan were found with rosaries gripped in their hands. I feel like to him it's like a respect thing of the dead. But it's like, you fucking killed them. They wouldn't be dead if you weren't in their lives. Right. And then when he gets to the point of saying that, well, he picked them up to move them to be in the same room because he didn't want to drag them because that would be disrespectful. Right. It's like. That's what I mean. He's 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 like making himself out to be the good guy in a very bad scenario. Right. That is all his fault. <laughs> and he, right. And it's like he's lied to himself so much that he, I feel like he like literally he genuinely believes, believes his, his lie of a story. Probably. He's delusional. The items found at the crime scene gives us a lot of information. There they find empty bottles and boxes of Benadryl two hunting knives, a blood-stained mattress, zip ties, first aid sprays with blood smeared on them. Which, I'm like, what is the first aid sprays about? You know what I mean? It's very bright. I don't know. It's very odd. I, I almost wonder if he, like, realized what he did. He's like, oh, I'll put some first aid spray. Like, let's get him back. Like, I don't know. Because he just has no logic to his thinking that, I don't know. Yeah. And then to have, like, the... The BB gun. Yeah. Which, the pictures, it looks like a real gun. Like, I don't know. Yeah, they thought it was. Guns, but it looked real to me. Yeah. And it just, it seems so, like, stupid to buy. Like, why would you go buy this BB gun? He didn't have time to get an actual gun. So he just, like. Yeah, that's what he's telling He just, like, (laughs) compromised and got this BB gun, which he doesn't use on anyone. Right. Allegedly, maybe himself. You can, I don't think you can kill yourself with a BB gun. You have to try really, really fucking hard. So yeah, they find these first aid sprays, a BB gun, stuffed animals. And something else they found is a red restraint tied around one of the bedposts. At one point, Tony claimed that Megan attempted suicide by stabbing herself in the liver after having killed the children. But during a press conference, it's confirmed that Tony admitted to killing the family sometime toward the end of December, and he's arrested mid-January. He was in that house with their bodies that whole time. In a letter to his father, Tony writes 27 pages worth of detail about what exactly happened the day that his family died. And in this letter, he proclaims his innocence, both for the murders of his family and for the fraud. I did read the letter. I, I noted some things that stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. He mentions to his father, quote, I remain in isolated, protected custody to protect me. Parentheses. I am not jail material. I know when I fucking heard that, I was like, 
yeah, pussy, you ain't shit. <laughs> it made me, yeah. Laugh? Yeah, I At giggled. his patheticness? He really is. He's God. a pathetic excuse for he's a He's a coward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He also says, first of all, I am 10,000% innocent in all of these preposterous charges, both on the state case and on the proposed medical fraud case. <laughs> and then he underlines the 10,000% innocent like, part. Are we, in, are we in middle school? I'm 10,000%. Not liable. He's there's I don't something. Know. It's yeah, just it just was not right. He also says, "quote The statements taken from me were interesting, to say the least. I'm ashamed to say, yes, I did attempt suicide multiple times. As to my recollection, I want to say eight times. I am told this is natural, given the circumstances of having the rug pulled out from underneath me and my world shattered." My wife and my children were and still are everything to me. I love my wife still very deeply, and it will be the hardest thing to sit there and tell everyone that it was her that did this when I was not home, and then she committed suicide in front of me. I have forgiven her as I know she was chronically sick since 2011-2012 when a bug bit her in Disney of all places, end quote. So he's essentially using his wife's illness to blame her for all of all of this. I mean, like you said earlier, he he does not take responsibility for anything. He uses what he reaches for whatever he possibly could. Yeah. To And he has some very convenient excuses. Yes. And it seems like he's just been sitting in jail this whole time, conjuring up a story to tell. Yes, yes. Like, pains me to blame it, like, to tell you that it was her. Like, that's, like, some of the ultimate disrespect. Killing your wife and then blaming. That's what I was going to say is, like, Megan in the afterlife must be so... I don't even have a word for it. I can't even say, like, disappointed. Like, it doesn't even... uh doesn't right. It's not up to par. Yeah. But, like, imagine that. Mm-mm. Imagine being, being killed. And you and your children Having it killed. blamed on you by the person who has committed... Who you've committed your, what, the last 20, 30 years... Of your life too, yes. Right, like that's a long time, right? And this person that you've loved and have had children with, like that disgusts me on levels I can't even explain. It such despicable, disrespectful behavior. I can't even put it into words. It makes me so angry. Like, it's just disgusting. He's a he's a terrible person. Terrible, terrible. So, we, we know for sure that Megan didn't commit suicide. Uh-huh. Let me just say that. Uh-huh. Because of the, the medical exam that she had post-mortem. But in these letters, we also hear for the first time 
about Megan's miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And we learn more about her father's suicide. Right. So not only is he blaming her illness, but also her family trauma. Regardless of his family trauma. Let's not take that into consideration, okay? Yeah. Even though you're writing to the man who fucking did it to you. That, and that surprises me so much. And th- But that's, that's just one of those things that it's like that reflection. Yeah. He's writing to the almost Abuser. like well not even that but he's it's almost like he's writing this letter to himself, himself. yeah and it's yeah. so weird to like see that unfold in front of you yeah because he's not even acknowledging like he's writing the letter the letter also like for i guess forgiving his father for what he did to him all while not even like saying, like placing no blame whatsoever on that, but placing it all on Megan and Megan's family trauma. Like, mm-hmm. you know. And it doesn't even, it goes right over his Exactly. Head. He doesn't even see it. Right. And that blows my mind. It's so, oh, this is also just so crazy to me. So, um, about Megan's father though, her father. Albert was the president of a group that manages the water system for a housing development. Mm-hmm. Albert hung himself from a tree outside of a pump station where water is drawn from wells in the area. Tony also mentions that Megan not only suffered from Lyme disease, but a huge list of other health issues. Mm-hmm. He states in the letter that these health problems had attributed to the, quote, loss of all feminine features. God, that. That makes me so mad. You're married. That enrages me. You're through sickness and health. Does that not mean shit to you? You're going to comment on her losing her womanly features. Are you fucking kidding me? He's. It's, first of all, totally irrelevant. Why even mention that? Secondly, it's insensitive. It's inappropriate. How can you say that you love your wife? He's trying to say, my wife killed my kids, but I still love her very deeply. But let me just take a dig at her physical appearance real quick while I'm at it. Right. How do you talk about your wife in that type of way. He doesn't even see it. He's completely blind to just... And this is why, like, this is why I said I really, truly believe he's a narcissist. Because if he's saying stuff like this to his father, who he doesn't even really have a close relationship with, imagine what he's he's been telling his wife on a day-to-day basis. Mm -mm. And that's what narcissists do. They manipulate and they break down people so that that person thinks everything's their fault. I'm the best you're going to get type of attitude. And I think that that contributes to after so long of, of being broken down. It's, it's almost just easier to accept things the way they are and Mm -hmm. just go along with what you're told to, because, um, 
Otherwise, you just create more trouble for yourself. And I think that's ultimately what probably happened. So, uh, God. He also talks to his father about how he plans to use his wife's life insurance to get back on his feet. When he gets out of jail. <laughs> like he's Once he's there. released, he's gonna... Yeah, and he's already, he's already making plans. He also says that when he returned home from sleeping at the condo they, they rented. Yeah, should we maybe dive into that piece a little bit while we're there? He needed to go get his daughter's Mickey Mouse necklace because Zoe was nagging at Megan all day for it. So he, he was going to do that. He was going to go find her necklace at the condo. And then it was like he went back and forth between saying that he was planning on sleeping at the condo and yeah. like reminding your mom that, that, that that's where I'm gonna be tonight. But then he later claimed that like he accidentally he fell accidentally asleep. fell asleep in the in the car. in the car. How do you accidentally I'm sorry but Okay if I accidentally fall asleep I in the have car, accidentally fallen asleep in the car. But it's I like was, ten minutes. Right. It's it's not it's an not, overnight thing. No. Also I was dosed on NyQuil. That <laughs> That'll do it. I thought NyQuil and DayQuil were the same thing. I took NyQuil. I was out. And it was on the clock, too. So, do not recommend. But, yeah. How how do you accidentally fall asleep in a car for eight hours? Uh, Come on, Tony. I don't know. It's just part of his delusion that he's... Well, that's what makes, but that's what makes it hard to believe that he really believes these things is because he changes a story so often. You know what I mean? It's hard to believe that he truly thinks this is, this is what happened. Like, I'm so delusional that I'm going to lie to myself over and over again until I believe it. But he has told so many versions of the story that aren't the same, that don't line up. So how can you truly be convinced that that's what the truth is? I don't know. Part of me thinks that like while he was in the house with his deceased family, that I feel like that is most likely when the delusions, like when he built that up and took it as truth. And then all of a sudden he snapped back into the real world and realizing, like hearing like, oh, I got to answer all these questions. And then like, he's maybe having to think about Things what that his, he hadn't thought quote, of unquote, before. Truth is, yeah, and being like, oh, like okay, well, no, it's it's this. Huh. Like I don't, I don't know. And the the thing about it is like, you are like it's delusional. There's not logic to it. He in these letters he says that when he returns home from sleeping at the condo that they rented, because he woke up early and he was concerned because. He didn't want Megan he to be mad want, because yeah. it was it was past 4.30 and he had yep. to be there to do her therapy. Yeah, and the fact that he like flips the script and tries to make it seem like Megan is almost like abusing him. Like, like demanding. like Yeah, like she's going to get mad at me if I don't clean up the kitchen and stuff like right? that. Right, when like, it's like, okay, you're not even here for the whole week. Like what does she is she like magically fine during the week while you're not here and then yeah how does she weekends, function right like if you have to like carry her sometimes right like, bathe her right what how does she take care of three children three yes i don't know i don't know 
He's, he's, oh God, I just. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he says that he returns home and he walked in to the remnants of a pudding pie with plates all around the table. That pudding pie was laced with Benadryl. Tony goes on to tell his father that when he returned home, Megan was standing at the top of the stairs and she said, quote, you're alive. They didn't get you, end quote. He said that she was wearing his shirt with a stain on it. He began asking her where the kids were. Megan started to tell him that she had a vision while she was meditating that the world would be ending by way of a virus attack. But what's interesting to me is that Megan died. We know for sure Megan died at the end of 2019 in December, but the first case of COVID-19 wasn't even reported until December 31st of that year. Not just reported, but like, I feel like from the time the first case was reported to the time that everybody found out that there was a possibility it was here in the States. Well, I remember seeing it on Reddit in 19. Yeah. And like all the talk of like, oh, it's nothing. But it was all speculation still at that point. And it was, you know, not something that everyone was talking about by any means. Right. Most likely, probably not some mother of three kids living in celebration. Like, right. So it's definitely likely that Megan died before knowledge of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Which is very interesting, to say the least. Well, yeah, because it's like, how else did he convince her that the world was ending? Because, I mean, now... In hindsight, we're in 2023. There were lots of people that believed the world was ending when the coronavirus hit. Mm -hmm. There are still people that are probably hiding out in bunkers somewhere waiting for this all to pass. 2020 brought a lot of conspiracy theories and distrust in the government. And uh, it separated the nation, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That's almost like what you would think is happening here. But, but it's if, before. But it's before that even took place. Right. So what is, it just makes you think like w- what that conversation would have looked like. And I think that one of the biggest things for me is the fact that she, Megan, had mentioned it to Chrissy when like. Exactly. That's, it's not like he's just like pulling this out of his butt. Like no, she believed it. She had to, to have believed mention it. it to her sister-in-law. Yeah, like like people that don't believe in that stuff, they don't just say that in passing. Like casual, yeah. They maybe say it, like, "Can you can you believe this shit?" Like, right? But yeah, it does not. It's not case. at all how that went down, right? And so it it really makes me think that she really believed that um, something bad was going to happen. That he just... He had put that in her head. I really believe that. Planted that seed and then manipulated her. Yeah. So, Tony, in his letter, he explains how Megan supposedly told him that in order to reach salvation, she had to release the souls of their little boys. 
in his letter, he never mentions what happened to Zoe or their dog, Breezy. According to Tony in this letter, Megan had stabbed herself twice in the abdomen. Tony says he begged her to let him go and get help and that he couldn't find any of their phones because Megan had hid them. Which when I heard this, it made me mad Mm -hmm, again mm -hmm. because um, he just... So yeah, he says that Megan hid their phones and that she also made him promise that he wouldn't let her die alone. And because he made that promise, he felt that he had to stay with her instead of going, going for help. For help. <sighs> it's like, what just kind of logic is this? He, he does mental gymnastics, figuring out a way to deflect responsibility. So, yeah, he um, he refuses to go to a neighbor for help because he feels like it's better to keep his promise that she won't die alone. Whereas if he just went to a neighbor's house to get help, then she wouldn't, wouldn't die. have to die at all. But that makes too That's much logic. sense. <laughs> God. So uh, he goes on to say in these letters that Megan asked him to help her pass by placing a pillow over her face and then moving his hand onto it. He then says that Megan said, quote, I'm in pain 10 times greater than childbirth, end quote. Also, according to Tony, while this is happening, Megan pushed Tony's hand away and says, quote, I finally found something you suck at. I can still breathe. End quote. That's it's it's almost ultimate narcissistic statement. That's, that's what I was going to say. It's like he's bragging about being such a good person that he couldn't possibly have the capability of killing someone. Like... He, his wife praises him so much that the only thing wrong that she could... The only thing wrong with you is that you're not a killer. So he must can't. be innocent, right? Like, as he's saying Who this thinks? With, with his... Saying that his, he's putting a pillow over his wife's head. Like... Yeah. <laughs> Who what? thinks this way? That is so... What? Mental gymnastics, man. I'm telling you. Is hmm. So I will have all 27 pages of Tony's letter posted on our Patreon if anyone's interested in reading through the entirety of that. Oh boy, is it. You're in for a treat. Mm-hmm. Or a wild ride, I should say. Anthony Tote's trial began in 2022. Up until the trial, we've only heard one version of the story that's been put together from Tony's phone calls to his sister from jail, and then that letter that he sent to his father. According to him, he returned home to find his children dead by the hand of his wife and then watched his wife take her own life right in front of him. He then claims that he has no memory of what he told investigators because of the Benadryl. Trying to claim that. His lengthy confession should not be allowed because he was too messed up off of Benadryl. Yeah, like, get a grip, homie. It wasn't until the detective was called to take the stand, and this detective spoke to Tony the day he was taken into custody and again on January 15th. 
And I think from what I heard, they did an interview the day he was arrested. They forgot to read him his rights. So none of that um, recording was permissible in court. Right. So they called him back in Mm -hmm. January 15th and kind of just did it over again. During the trial, they played the interview Tony gave detectives on January 15th. And from this, we're able to compare what he's admitted to against the stories he's been telling his family. Mm -hmm. In this interview, Tony explains that he and Megan were seeking a higher world consciousness in preparation for the apocalypse. They planned... First of all, just like, was not expecting that. Like, the first time I was hearing this. No. excuse me, what? Your Catholic ass that's living in celebration Disney? Like... Yeah, it just it just definitely blindsides you a little bit. Yes. Yes. So yeah, he says they planned together to kill their children and then themselves in order to avoid being separated in the afterlife. He also tells detectives that the kids said they wanted to die with their parents. As if your children are can comprehend can make enough yeah, like they can't understand you're, enough to make that decision for themselves. Well, and what you're going to say, you're going to ask them, like, mommy and if daddy. If mommy dies, would you want to go with me? Right. Like, yeah, I want to go with you. You're my mom. Like, what the? You're the only person I have, you know? Like, because they were homeschooled too, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what do you expect is going to happen? They came up with a plan for how they could do this. And that's when they came up with the idea to put Benadryl into the pudding cake and feed it to the children. And here's another warning. We're going to talk about what Tony admits doing to the children. Tony said he had set an alarm for 11 p.m. at night, got out of bed, went to Zoe's room first, took him a while to work up the nerve to follow through. He can't remember if he, he stabbed her or not. He right. doesn't know. But he know he he brings out a knife. Right? He doesn't know if he stabbed her, but he knows he tried to. Like <laughs> Yeah, do, uh, again, Excuse me? doesn't make sense. So he said that he covered her mouth with with his hand, put a pillow over her face and laid on top of her. Megan and Tony together go into Alec's room. Tony said he stabbed Alec and then Alec started to thrash around after he was stabbed. So Tony put his hand over his nose and mouth in the comments he makes about killing his family. He slipped away quickly, is what he said. He goes on to talk about Tyler how Tyler's the strongest and the quickest kid. So they had to take extra precaution with him. So he wouldn't get away, even though he wants to go. Right. He supposedly is ready to die and he wants to do this, but they're worried he's going to get away and ruin their plan. So Tyler is stabbed by Tony. He begins to struggle and then is quickly, in Tony's words, smothered to death. 
Tony also said that he smothered their dog, Breezy, and that she died peacefully. He wouldn't admit to stabbing her. Tony and Megan decide that Megan should be the next to go. He lays down next to her and hands her the knife as she pushes it into her stomach. According to Tony, she stabbed herself twice but didn't die right away. So Megan then urges him to kill her by smothering her with the pillow. He says that once they were dead, the next two weeks that he was in the house were filled with numerous attempts to take his own life. The attempts he supposedly made were trying to hang himself, trying to slit his wrists, trying to choke himself with zip ties, trying to stab himself, trying to kill himself with the pellet gun, and trying to overdose on Benadryl. I don't believe that he was genuinely trying. No, absolutely I think not. he was desperate and trying to find a way out of it. Yeah, but and, didn't have the balls. But didn't he was a coward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So according to him, the zip ties and the red restraint found in the bedroom were from his suicide attempts and were not used to restrain his children or his wife, Megan, which I'm, I hope is the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I feel like that's the only little bit of relief that we can get from all of this right. is that they weren't tied down when that was being done to them. I mean, the hope is that they were uh, unconscious, but we don't know. Also, during this interview with police, he says that he made a trip to Sarasota, which is a two-hour drive from where they lived in celebration, but he never clarified what he was doing there, and he left his phone there. Right, which is just like a very odd twist to the whole story like doesn't like why it seems intentional right but then it's like what direction are you trying to go in exactly i don't know exactly it's it's hard to know what he's trying to do here and then uh, well and we'll talk about it in a little bit he pretty much later says during his trial that he was not in sarasota so it's like what what are you you just mail your phone there like what well, yeah, obviously it doesn't make sense, but it makes me wonder, like, what were you doing there that you don't want people to find out? Right. I don't know. It's, it's just another very odd, illogical part of the story. Yeah. Tony also admitted to texting people in the family pretending to be Megan and the kids after they were already deceased. So that was confirmed that in the beginning when Megan's family... Felt like things were off. You know, it it reminds me a little bit of Cappy Petito. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. So any texts that were sent after Christmas were all from him. Tony says after their deaths, he lays in bed with Megan's body for a day before moving the children's bodies into the same room. In comparison to the incredibly detailed account that Tony gives at the beginning of his interview... He claims that the day police arrested him was foggy. As for a possible motive, many have speculated that because of the financial trouble that Tony was in, he either, one, snapped because of the stress, two, 
planned to kill his family and use the insurance money to clean his slate, essentially. Or three, that Megan had threatened to leave with the kids if she had somehow found out about the fraud. But the insurance fraud couldn't at all be mentioned during the trial. I thought was interesting. That surprised me. Because I feel like that's, like, in my mind, the biggest motive he would have. Yeah. It's because it's one of the top reasons for familicides. Yeah. But I think it's one of those things that just, like, for legal reasons, they can't group it together because there was already <clears throat> an investigation launched before. Right. I and mean, then, I don't know. Right. And I'm I'm sure that's why, but it just it just seems so... Well, especially because if they don't get it right the first time, it can cause a mistrial. Right. So if people aren't convinced that he killed his family because the motive might have been fraud and they can't use that in court mm-hmm. to convince the jury, like then what? Right. they could be fucked. And he's I mean, just off the hook. Living his life and, you know, like he planned. So, yeah, obviously, like... Most people are going to think that the insurance fraud has to be the motive. But Tony claims that his motive was because the the end of the world was coming. Mm-hmm. He also mentions a suicide note that he said the family had written together. And towards the end of his interview, he says, quote, I take full responsibility. I want this done. End quote. At his trial, Tony is the only witness called to testify in his defense. They ask him again about the suicide note he mentioned during his interview with police. This time, he claims that the note was written just by Megan herself and that he printed it out after Megan had died. He claimed to have found the note in his pocket after having suffered a hallucination in the garage, urinated on himself, and drank what he thought was coffee, but tasted like motor oil. There's, okay, there's this theory that people who lie, they tell too many details. Yeah. They, like, overexplain. Mm-hmm. That is him. Mm-hmm. That's him. A hundred percent. The whole time I was hearing his testimony, that's what I kept thinking, is he's just, he's lying. He He really is. Also, listen to that, because <laughs> the... The prosecutor, yeah, like just pumbles his ass. Yeah, he they, like, get hates into it. And it her. They get into it, and it's honestly kind of funny. He gets so mad at her. It's, he's like viciously passive aggressive. He oh he is absolutely. So yeah, um, he after um, all of this. He then went into the house, took his clothes off, and found the note that Megan had apparently left in his pocket. He said he took it out of his urine-soaked pants and retyped it. It's like, what? Where, do you, where is he coming up with this? I really I don't, don't get it. No. The thing is, too, is if you read the letter, which I'm going to have that suicide note posted on our Patreon as well. If you read that and then you listen to his interviews, you read the letter that he sent his father, it sounds like it's coming directly from his mouth. Mm -hmm. 
it sounds exactly like something you would conjure up. Yeah. And I just, I want to add, because I, I wanted to look it up because I was, I knew I've heard some stuff about it, but for familicides, mm-hmm. it is almost exclusively committed by men in heterosexual family relationships. And um, one of the biggest reasons is because they say like money or cheating well yeah exactly but they they say like a spiraling loss of control control of and you know especially by the male and Mm -hmm. then in quotes like head of a household yeah like you're you're which is exactly what is happening to him he's coming face to face with this fraud Mm -hmm. and he's losing control of being this head of the household and that word, that's that's a recurring theme that the prosecutor uses, too, while he's on the stand. If you listen to his testimony, she continuously talks about how he has this need for control. Right. And the reason that he wouldn't answer her questions, she kept asking him yes or no questions, and he would over-explain. Mental or he gymnastics. Would, Do mental yes. gymnastics right Or he it. would turn it around and ask her question. Yeah. She said that that was because he needs to be in control. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that you say that, that a lot of the reason that these types of cases happen is because of a loss of control. Think of the... Um, the Watts family. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Watts, by the way. Fuck you too, Chris Watts. Yeah. The note describes that the family has decided to take this course of action because they're seeing the end of the world prophecy come true and they don't want to suffer. It's their hope that doing this will give them salvation and allow them to be together forever. Anthony Tote was found guilty on all charges and is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And again, if you're interested, I'll have that full suicide note along with the 27-page jailhouse letter posted on our Patreon page, which will be linked in the podcast description. What's weird is he was aware of like this new supposed religious practice that she was into years before this had all taken place. Mm -hmm. Like the prosecutor asks him that. And he says it was 2009, (laughs) 10 years before her death. Very convenient that it happened right around the time you're being investigated for fraud. Exactly. Also, I feel like we should add that the trial was short and, you know, he was charged with all of the murders and animal cruelty. Like, yeah, no one, no one believed his shit. And then he like tried to mumble on trying to like, talk, like the verdict was made and he's like, just babbling on about trying to plead his case still. Yes, and yes. And it's like not making it's any over. sense. It's fucking over. Like, yeah. Get out of here. And the whole time that they're reading the, um, like all the counts that he's being charged with, he's shaking his head. Like it's like he's still trying to like he's trying to convince himself still in hopes to convince others. Like I'm yeah, so wrong. I think he, like I said before, I think he's a narcissist. And narcissists, they know how to charm people. 
And I think that was the case with his father, too. His father still claims that he's innocent, that he had nothing to do with hiring this this kid to kill his wife. And it's just another one of those things that we see the pattern repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you guys want to know more about it, I think that Bob and I got, I I originally, originally heard it from Swindled, which is yeah. Top Notch Podcast. But then there's an entire series mm-hmm. about the case called Looking for the Tote Family. Yeah. And I think that the specific Swindled episode is like called The Patriarch. Yeah. The Patriarch with, in parentheses, Anthony Tote. So you definitely have more information than yeah. we could ever provide in yeah. an hour's worth of episode. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, Swindled is it, he always does a f- fantastic job mm-hmm. of getting a lot of good information into uh, he's a really good storyteller. Yeah, for sure. And then the longer podcast, like committed to the whole, um, yeah, the looking for the tote family, whatever. By it, the like, yeah, it's it's hosted by journalists, right? Who have followed the case, right? Locally, who followed the case since the beginning all the way to the end. So they yeah. have like information that, like, they have an interview with his dad. Yeah, and. It's it's interesting too. They like talk to people of the community, like specifically um, this woman who she praised Anthony for helping her daughter because he was apparently just so great at what he did and was like mm-hmm. would bend over backwards to help all these patients. And yeah. she's like, she felt conflicted as like she wanted to say thank you to him, but then also like doesn't mm-hmm. want the controversy of saying thank you to this. Yeah, murder. It it's just if you are interested, for sure give those a listen because that is what got me into it for mm-hmm. sure. It's a wild ride. It's for a lot. Sure. It's a lot. And like we said, the further you deep, the crazier it gets. Yeah. So I'll post that stuff on Patreon too, if people want to do. They just want to dig a little bit. And not commit to listening to more than what we've put out about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Also, if you enjoyed our episode today, please be sure to follow and rate our podcast. Please. We will see you all next week. And remember to always keep, keep it spooky. spooky.